of and that's of what like I'm thinking is the it, Grim it's, Reaper. It's the Memento Mori, right? Yeah. Like in this story, this the Ghost of Christmas Future is this remember your death uh yeah. part. And hello and welcome to the Brother Random Show. My name is Travis. And I'm Michael. And we are two ordinary brothers discussing extraordinary ideas and some random shit. So the topics on this show range from theology, masculinity, stories, movies, philosophy, books, pop culture, and many other subjects. We often talk about the people we admire and the wisdom they share. People such as Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, who we believe is the sage of our time. Michael, why are we here? Today we are talking about the book A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Uh, this is going to be, you know, part of some of our discussions on things Christmassy, uh, since Christmas is coming, and we uh, we wanted to talk about this book because it's it's a great story, a you know timeless story. Uh, been around since uh, it was came out. It was the book was written in nineteen forty or eighteen forty three. Yeah, That's, it's. Over 180 years old. Yeah. At this point. Um, been adapted over 100 times. Uh, and uh, I was going to, I here in Utah, they even have kind of their own version that they do uh, uh, on a play. There's a play that is pretty traditional. A lot of people go see it um, here in Utah. Hills, Hill. Hills Theater, and uh, they'll throw in they throw in little things um, that make it just a little bit different. They have uh, uh, the the song "Mary, Did You Know." Um, Bob Cratchit sings "Mary, Did You Know" in the play, uh, so they kind of threw in a little bit of different stuff in there. Interesting. Uh, so that's a that's a play that that is mostly just done in that in that area, right? Yeah, there. I think Hales Theater was a small Orem. I think it was an Orem uh, theater, and it's kind of it was kind of cool because it's a little little stage, and and all the and it was kind of in this it mm-hmm. not very big actually, and all the the seats kind of s- surround it what's the um, adaption called up. What, Did, uh, what, what's it called it's called the christmas carol oh it is hmm, yeah cool. um well uh, i mean and yeah. and specifically we're going to be probably covering the book and then just the different adaptions that the book has so um for audience members we'll put that up there and mm-hmm. it's it's um this this copy I have is basically a um reprint of the way it looked when it was it first came out in the 1843 with the illustrations. So the illustrations were by uh, John Leach, who's kind of famous for uh cartoon illustrations or comic book illustrations. They weren't called comic books back then, but anyway, he uh he was friends with with Dickens and Dickens wanted illustrations with this book because uh, he wanted to d- it to be like a staple that you could uh, reprint every year that that would um, uh, uh, generate 
you know, uh, income every year around Christmas. Uh, the problem was one of the things was, is that it's a book about, you know, the poor and, um, being generous to the poor. And then it also became an expensive book, uh, because of the illustrations he wanted to, to, you know, so he was, it was kind of like this, um, uh, conundrum that he had where he wanted it to be a certain way, but it also meant that it was an expensive book to publish, um, mm -hmm. because of the illustrations, um, he did it, uh, according to everything that I've read. Uh, so he read a, uh, uh, basically a pamphlet that had been put out by parliament about the working conditions in factories for children and women. Uh, and once he read it, he was going to write a political paper about it. You know, we shouldn't be doing this, you know, this kind of thing. And, um, mm -hmm. and it ended up, he ended up going, well, instead of a political paper, I might be able to do better as a novella. And he was right. It was a huge success and he almost made no money off of it because, the copyright laws in the 1800s were almost nothing. And so anybody could take his story and claim it as their own. And that's exactly what happened. It was such a popular story that they started producing plays like right away mm -hmm. and they didn't have to pay him nothing for it. And so mm -hmm. even though it became one of his most popular works, he almost made nothing off of it. It was also one of his most popular reads. He was kind of a famous, famous for his public readings. And that's where he really made his money as he toured and he went, came to the United States. The yeah. He would tour and read, read the book or read his works. And he was an accomplished stage actor. So he was able to kind of just in, inhabit the different um characters and which would have been a great thing to see that would have been awesome yeah and, and he was kind of like a one one historian put it like a rock star when he would go on these tours and um and he, he made quite a bit of money from these tours and so and he was a product of privation himself because his father uh even though they were a well-to-do family his father ended up uh, going into debtor's prison, which meant that the family had to go work in factories. So he knew what it was like to try to... and pay off his debt. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, indentured, indentured servitude was a big thing at that time. Yes. Um, the, the industrial, the industrial revolution was going on in England at the time. And so factories were just sprouting up everywhere. They were, um, and, what was happening in the process is that orphans and children of a certain, you know, um, class were being, uh, basically forced to work, um, yeah. pretty regularly. So anyway, it, 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 it made for a harsh couple of years, which is why his, his books mostly deal with the wealth disparity essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, like Oliver Twist, um, is about wealth disparity. He was also, uh, he also did, um, uh, Tale of Two Cities, which Tale is, Two Cities, which is also was, about the French yeah. Revolution, which was a revolution of, of the poor going after the rich. So, mm. um, anyway, yeah, 
the adaptions, the amount of adaptions of the Christmas Carol are staggering. Like, I mean, <clears throat> there's there, you and I have our favorites. So, uh, I guess we, should, we could talk yeah. about that. Uh, the Muppets Christmas Carol is considered to be one of the best adaptions because it's actually yeah. fairly accurate, even though it's got Muppets, Muppets in it. Even though it's got Muppets in it, they they stuck to the story really well. Yeah. And yeah. it it's kind of crazy to think that that is probably one of the more uh, better versions. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen... There are there was the one in the seventies that was like the musical. Oh, without Albert Finney, yeah, I yeah. haven't seen that one either. Um, that that I haven't seen in a really long time. If I did see it, it would have been a long, long time ago. When we were kids, probably. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I think mom, what I think mom had it, and yeah, and we watched it every so often. But uh, I remember people dancing on a hearst. And that's about all I remember. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, which which one is the one that had Alec Guinness in it? Uh, I don't know. That, I think I that, that might have been the, that one. The musical that one. one. Anyway. That's, Albert Finney played uh, Scrooge in that one, I believe, in the in the musical. And, um, and like everybody, like even uh, um, uh, the Star Trek uh captain picard he played a version of one um oh yeah that was like early what 90s that was 90s been, probably right, 90s the uh scrooged with uh bill murray um i kind of oh, yeah thought that's it was an funny. adaption yeah it's yeah the, that's a great one it's time for your christmas list okay read me the list i want to get this over with sammy goldberg bethel Lou Parker. Send him a VHS home video recorder. Colonel Tom Parker. The bath towel. Tamara Forstall. VHS. But I actually liked Scrooged. Uh, I guess that was the 90s the end. too. That That's was the 80s, 80s one. Or is that? Yeah, it's 80s, I guess. Yeah. And then and um, The Muppets Christmas Carol is 90s. It's uh, probably 95, 93, somewhere around there. And then Jim Carrey just came out with one where he did most of the voices. I think that's uh, actually I didn't really like it. It was I think that's actually 10 years old or 20 years old. It was like 2003 when that one okay, came out. Okay, so it's been out. That's been out it's a been while. Out a while. But, uh I wasn't impressed with that one. I like saw it and it didn't have the joy that that the other ones have. Like the 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 Muppet one in spite of the fact that it, it's all Muppets has a couple of really great songs in it that are about joy and it is the season of the heart, a special time of caring, the ways of love made clear. And it is the season of the spirit. The message if we hear it is make it last all year season of giving and all that kind of stuff so it kind of it kind of even though it has its scary moments like most of my kids get everybody gets scared by the ghost of christmas uh uh future because yeah. it's because he's essentially a what do you call it death or he has the death moniker 
looking, you know, it's a hooded figure and it's always depicted as kind of scary. Why do you think Charles Dickens did that? Why was the well, he was, future the scary one? Well, because I, it, it was a future that if he didn't change, that's mm-hmm. what would happen. Right. So tiny, tiny oh, spoilers for a 180 year old book, but tiny Tim will die if he doesn't change. Yeah. He will die if he doesn't change. He will die. And it, and what's worse <laughs> is he will die without anybody at his funeral. Because there's that, because with, so, so the scene where there's a couple of uh, thieves in like yeah. a dingy area, and, and this all, ha- like this is all in the book. And the, Ch- Dickens used to use, his words are poetry. Like he, he'll use a lot yeah. of words to explain something, but it's always really beautifully written and so he talks about these people being in this slum and they're one of them has stolen like his cufflinks and one of uh, them has stolen his bed sheets which were considered to be like a the the you know a sign of wealth is having bed sheets you know Mm. um and it's funny because the guy gets him he's like they're still warm you know, and, and, and they're, sell, they're selling them to this barterer who essentially, uh, and Scrooge the whole time is kind of going, who is this poor person? And at some point, the ghost of Christmas future says to him, well, it's you. Well, he doesn't actually yeah. speak. It's, it's one he of the characters. He, he doesn't yeah. speak, but he did. He does show him that it's or points to his gravestone and it's like it's you it's your yeah before we get into the ghost of christmas future let's kind of walk through it so scrooge not very great guy um you know he's asked what uh he at the very beginning he's at his uh money exchange yeah it's counting house it's a counting house counting house so he's an accountant for businesses well, no, and, he's a he's a lender. He lends. Yeah. So he's bank, a bank. Yeah. He's a banker essentially. Yep. Okay. Yeah. No, and so, he he also owns property. So he he, uh, so he's a landlord. A la- landlord. Okay. And uh, some people come in that are looking for donations for for the poor, and one of the things he says is that they should die, and that the poor should just die, and uh, decrease the surplus population. Yeah. And, uh, so just like very cold. Well, even the name Scrooge, I think was a, uh, like a two words put together. It was like, uh, screw and gouge put together Hmm. to kind of indicate that he was just always, he was screwing people over and also gouging them with his prices. So, um, the one historian pointed that out and, um, which is an interesting, uh, thought because you can see where he was like coming up with ideas. Dickens was coming up with ideas to, 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 to try to indicate this is an unpleasant person. And one way to do that when you're writing is for character names. And so it's like a perfect character name, Scrooge or Scrooge. Yeah. You know, and we, yeah. and we, and it's so popular that everybody, when you are, are yeah. a person who hates Christmas, what do you call them? You either call them a Grinch or a Scrooge. Yeah. So, 
because people know those stories and know what you're talking about when you say, you know, don't be such a Scrooge or, um, or even if you say bah humbug, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They know what you're, what that references, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and one thing it's interesting that he plays with death a lot in this story. Um, yeah. The, the first line uh, talks about is uh, talks about his friend that is not his friend, but his business partner. Yeah. Jacob Marley. Yeah. Was, Marley was dead was the first line. Yeah. In the book. And, and that is, he goes from there to where Jacob Marley comes to him and tells him like going to be vigilant. It's all in chains. So he's, you know, the sim- symbolism in this book is really strong. He comes to him as a spirit and he's all in chains. Yeah. Um, and it's because of the way he lived his life that now he has to walk the earth in chains, in chains which is just a visual that people, I don't think anybody's ever gotten out of their head. I think, this was such a huge hit and also it permeated pop culture to the point where now we think of ghosts rattling chains. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was a thing before uh, Dickens wrote if this. It might've been where it started or it something. It might've been where it started, but basically it's this idea that he, because of all of the things that he did in his life, it was another chain on him for doing it. And this is actually a scary part in the book because he actually like, in the book, he has like something holding up his jaw, like, and he 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 has a like a scarf holding his yeah. jaw into place. And when he un takes off the scarf, his jaw like drops. Yeah. So he's in this perpetual, um, like, uh, state of pain, of, you know, and, and of death, really, of death, like it's, really, yeah, it's. it's and, That's the sign of death. The yeah. the scarf around his head was to keep when they when they would have put him in the ground. That would have been just to keep his his mouth mouth from being open. Yeah, open while they were being viewed or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so wake or something like that. Yeah. Nowadays, so, I mean, nowadays they wire them. Yeah, they go in and they wire them shut. Anyways, um, well, it's, not that the yeah. audience wants to know that. <laughs> But it's but what it, it it all kind of serves the purpose of of the visualization of of what Marley was and any any warns Scrooge he's like this will happen to you if you don't listen to these three spirits and so basically over the course of several nights and he doesn't he thinks his perception is it's several nights but it's actually all takes place in one night and um. Uh, so the, the first one is the ghost of Christmas. Um, so it's past, past, present, future. Yeah. Yeah. So the ghost of Christmas, uh, past and that ghost takes him through his childhood. And so you get a sense that he's, he didn't have a happy childhood. Like, um, I think he, um, they, they deal with his sister, uh, a little bit. They imply that he might have had an abusive father. So there's a little bit of that going on. Um, then uh, um, 
then there's also uh like his days at a boarding school um and he was always alone during christmas mm-hmm. um so there's all that and then from there it goes into the ghost of christmas present which is the one that looks like like it's explained as like a jolly santa claus or saint nick kind of a character. santa figure yeah. yeah and uh and that and that's where he discovers that his clerk his, his uh, bob cratchit has got it lives in squalor essentially because he's barely paid anything mm-hmm. and um yeah it it um and then he taught they talk about tiny tim in that in that section and there's this really creepy section that doesn't they don't put in the movie very often but under the robes of this jolly character are two children who are uh one's starving and one's um so they're both starving but one's ignorance and one is want uh want yep and he so at the time so so um charles dickens was a little obsessed with the french revolution which had happened probably a uh it would have been about 100 years prior but the french revolution prior to um to the industrial revolution i think uh, maybe no, even the french revolution was after the american revolution yeah so that so would have been, been only well it would have been close to 100 years probably maybe um, um anyway go ahead well and basically he wrote a book he wrote a tale of two cities and that's about the french revolution and so he was thinking that if england went the the same direction that they would have a revolution that that then that's what those two children represented those two children represented this idea that if you if you if you starved people long enough and you were evil to them long enough that they would rise up and they would um take out the 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 wealthy in the in the mm. in the country and that was what was happening at the time it was i, I forget the era that they called it but ba- basically the industrial revolution had a lot of poverty and in in a lot of orphans and children and i don't remember what turned it around but at some point england realized that they needed to do do better towards the the homeless and and basically children children um and so what he was thinking when he wrote that i think was that that england might have a moment of revolution because mm-hmm. of because of the privation of of so many people in london and and in well i guess manchester was where all the all the um the factories were at but um according to one historian that was just one thing that i read about him about it's it. interesting that he looked around himself and he saw where things needed to change and then he was able to just drum up a story art that would like art yeah an art that he would that that would help move people to change the circumstances. Yeah. 
I just, yeah. I find that it's the best, probably brilliant. one of the best uses of art is where you can tell a good story and in the process also try to elicit change. What What's happened in our, our current society is they don't tell a good story. They just try to elicit change. So the mm. story, the story is not important to them. They just want the change. Yeah. And, and that's where, where current society is, is failing. Whereas Dickens was a real artist. He was a, he, he had had several books at this point published. Yeah. Um, he was, he was an excellent wordsmith. You know, like his, his uh, prose are, are very poetic. And you can always tell a good writer when their prose say one thing like on the surface and then also say under the surface, another thing that, mm -hmm. that, that the George Orwell was like that. He was always writing. So here's this top layer of the story. And then under the surface was a whole nother layer that if you, if you looked hard enough, or if you were looking at symbolism, like, yeah, you know, like, and that's what Dickens was doing here. Here he was going, there's a bunch of symbol symbolism in this book you know yeah and story and which is why there are probably so many adapt adaptations of it yeah you know and you were saying something about um the copyright never oh, quite yeah. uh got solidified and that's why we see as one of the reasons we see like a gazillion different uh adaptations of this well, so copyright laws in the 1800s were almost nothing <clears throat> And immediately after the, the, he, the, he released this book, immediately there were people stealing his ideas. And they, they even had a stage play that they put on like within like months of him publishing this book. Hmm. And he tried, he tried to use the law. He was like, uh, this is my work. Uh, yeah. And I came up with this and people were stealing it. And, yeah. um, but they didn't, they didn't have good copyright laws at the time. And because of that, I don't think we had copyright laws until the 19th, until the turn of the century. So it'd been, it would have been yeah. several years after his death that they, that the copyright would have, and see that we, we talked about, out. well, we talked about Dracula a couple of months ago and they, they had the same, uh, Bram, Bram Stoker had the same problem. His widow had to sue a movie company, uh, for, yeah producing a movie that without their permission. Right. Um, so this, all this stuff happened like, and, but uh, Dickens always was trying to do that. And it, during the 1800s, it just what there wasn't a thing. People did not um, care about copyright laws in the, yeah. in the, in the 1800s. Original work was kind of, if you put it out, it was a free for all. It's kind of like the internet nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So uh, he goes through uh, Christmas past, which kind of shows him uh, a lot of things that like good memories, but also bad where he fell in love and yeah. that love fell apart because he was so obsessed with money. Um, and then, and then, Christmas present where he kind of that's where he gets a kind of a, a filth on the pulse of what's going on around him, which was, mm -hmm. you know, Bob Cratchit and, uh, uh, and his, 
his little boy that is that's is a cripple not doing well right and um uh, uh and also his nephew that despite his always refusing to come to his christmas parties et cetera, et cetera, um still speaks well of him even though he's not around and he and even though his nephew's wife will speak ill of mm. scrooge the nephew i noticed the nephew doesn't speak ill of him the yeah. nephew's kind of like no he's you know he's He's he he's he is a you know crotchety old soul, but you know so and it's interesting to watch because he's kind of like a, a fly on the wall. Scrooge is in this at this Christmas party that his nephew's holding, and and everybody talks ill of Scrooge, you know because mm-hmm. they because nobody likes him. Yeah, and um and that that's a that it, it, people. It's interesting because people always want to know how other people see them. So it's yeah. like he's getting a glimpse of like what how people perceive him. So it is uh it is an interesting uh story trope, I guess, to yeah. to do that. And then he gets and then and then he gets to the scary ghost, um, yeah. which would be the um the ghost of Christmas uh future. And He's explained as a hooded uh, character, which uh, in every adaptation, he's kind of the scary character um, yeah. that uh, d- that doesn't speak. Uh, and then they show his, you know, I already talked about, they show his death. And then they also show Tiny Tim's death as well, or burial. So, um one of the adaptations that I love is the Mickey one. Uh, and I don't remember when that one came out. That would have been probably 83. 83 is when it came out. So it, 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 um, it's very like, you know, it's got all the, the Disney characters like Donald duck and, and Scrooge duck. And, uh, and then, uh, goofy, but uh, one of the heart-wrenching moments in that is when uh, Scrooge sees Mickey at a, a at a graveside, and he puts his uh, Tiny Tim's because Mickey plays Cratchit, and so he puts Tiny Tim's um, uh, crutch on, on the on the gravestone, and it and it's yeah. Mickey crying, and you don't often see that in any of Disney's old uh cartoons hmm. so the the adaption is actually pretty close itself yeah. um it's only about 30 minute long it's easy to find you can get it on uh um disney plus pretty easily but that's back in the day when they actually made um good stuff i uh i keep going back to like why why of the ghost of Christmas future being scary. Being I just, a, I'm trying to wrap my now. Well, it, the symbolism is, is if he's a formless, like you can't see inside his robe. So he's got long robes and he, he reminds you of like death, right? Yeah. Of, and that's of what like I'm thinking is the it, grim it's, reaper. It's the memento mori, right? Yeah. Like 
in this story, this the ghost of Christmas future is this remember your death uh yeah. part. And uh I think that's that must be why every once in a while I'll mention that my fear, my fear of life, my fear, my hell is depicted in um Scrooge's death in Scrooge. Well, B- B- Bill Murray is in a coffin and two people show up to his funeral and that's his nephew and his nephew's wife. And it's just this dark gloomy scene that I feel like that's, that's hell to me uh, is that nobody remembers a, you after you die. Yeah. A funeral that no one cares. Attends. Yeah. And no one. Yeah. And uh, that always kind of hit home to me that scene. Well, and so I so always you, think of my life in a, in a sense, I'll think of my life as, you know, like, well, what, what am I doing to keep that from happening? Um, to, to what relationships are you cultivating? What, what, um, goodness are you bringing to the world? Yeah. See, and I think, I think Dickens would have probably, and this is just me looking at, you know, I, there's no way to know for sure, but he loved his audience. He had a very, very close relationship with his audience. He would write periodicals like in newspapers and stuff like that. And he was quoted as saying that the love for, of his audience was something I, I forget the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of is better than any love I could get ever get from, mm-hmm. from an individual or something like that along those lines. So he had a close relationship with his audience. So you can imagine that that would have probably been his worst nightmare is to die and not because he died fairly young. He was in his fifties when he died and he, you could imagine that he would have had that same fear if he was obsessed with how his audience saw him. Hmm. Where, you know, uh, what if I die and nobody shows up, nobody, nobody's there. So I think, and this might be analyzing this too much, but I think there's a little bit of screw in, in, uh, Dickens, Dickens, Dickens and yeah. Dickens and Scrooge. And he, of course he's the, the writer of the, but, but Dickens was obsessed with money. Like he was always looking to make as much money as he could through his writings. And, and he was a popular writer, but he was always broke too. So he's always, so according to all the things that I read, he was, he, he was, he was well off sometimes and other times he was just not. And that, I guess that's the life of a, of a writer is like whether or not your last book did well or whether or not your it was a, it was a bomb, you know? And so, and so, and so you could imagine that he was kind of like, like Scrooge in the, in the sense that, you know, I'm, I need to have money, but it maybe his was more of a necessity rather than greed. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, in the story, he, he sees that he dies 
he sees his gravestone with Ebenezer Scrooge, his name on it. And he asks the uh, ghost of Christmas future. He asks, are these the things that will be or the things that may be? So like, I mean, he starts digging. He's like, can I change this? This. Is this something I can change? And, uh, and then he wakes up to it being Chris Christmas morning. And it's all, all of this took place in one night. And, uh, and he realizes he's got a second chance basically. Um, and, uh, and he, you know, he, he goes and, and brings food and, and things to, uh, Bob Cratchit, he tells Bob Cratchit that he wants to, you know, him pay him more. Yeah, pay him more. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and there, uh, and then the book kind of ends with him just saying that this, this man became the most joyous, most, uh, you know, kind and generous person out there. Now, and a lot of people think that Dickens might have been for socialism. And because he wrote so much about the privation of, of poor people, but mm-hmm. I think he was a humanist. Like you just wanted people to be good to each other. Mm-hmm. And I, and that, that comes across in Oliver Twist because Oliver Twist is all about cr- criminal, the criminal underworld. Um, yeah. And, and one good soul, you know, among the criminals. So I don't think that he was like all for, oh, the government needs to come and take from these people and give to these people. I, I yeah. think he was more like people just need to be generous to each other. And that's why, the you know, he sets this book during Christmas is because that should be the most generous time of year when people are giving as much as they can, because that's what mm-hmm. Christmas is about is giving to other people. And well, and the, and the birth of, Jesus Christ, of course. So, I mean, that, that's kind of my interpretation of, of, of his obsession with the poor. And he did have quite an, like almost all of his books have something to do with the poor. Yeah. Uh, I love this kind of, um, it's a, it's kind of a deep thought. It's kind of just, it's like an, a thought exercise of looking at your, at your life towards the end of your life and seeing if I do this, how is my life going to be at the end? If I, if I stay this way, right. How's my life going to be at the end when I, and, uh, and some would even call it like when I, go before my maker. Oh, I was, uh, so I just recently listened to David Goggins can't hurt me. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, he's like, I believe in a God. And I believe that when you, when we die, we'll go and we'll, we'll sit with God and we'll make a rec, uh, ha- come to a reckoning of our life. And, um, and he, he believes that God will show you uh, what your life was, he'll have a notepad or something 
He'll show mm-hmm. you what your life was. And then he'll show you one that would be what your life could have been had you done these things. Um, and, uh, and that's exactly what basically is happening with to Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge yeah. is he's seeing that there's an outcome that I don't want. And I, and so he, that moves him to change. Right. And I think this is the whole behind the whole concept of memento mori, which we've talked about mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. but this philosophy of remember your death, remember that death is coming and to live the best life that, 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 that you, you can. can to live life with purpose and meaning. Uh, and I think that concept is what Dickens was playing with here. Uh, and to, to show people to, you know, take stock in like your life and yeah. what you, you know, how, how you treat others. Um, yeah, that um, he, he, he does seem to be dealing with the memento mori through this, especially if he has this deplorable character that he might have identified with a little bit. Mm-hmm. He might have been like, yeah, I, I think about this a lot. I mean, the, the, just the publication of the book itself was kind of a contradiction. He wanted the poor to buy it every Christmas, but he also wanted there to be illustrations in it that made it an expensive book. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, there's a contradiction there, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I suggest to everybody to read it because it, the prose are, are very good. It's a very short book. It's a, it's a, it's a novella. It's one of his, it's probably his shortest book. I mean, the, the, a Tale of Two Cities is massive. It's a long yeah. book. So uh, check us out on social media. Uh, we are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're obviously on um, YouTube and um, on X, uh, at on X. Brothers V Random. Not Twitter anymore, but on X. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. We're going to have to get used to that. Uh, keep reading, keep listening, keep watching, learn more. We'll see you, brother. See you.